Dan Purcell is a tech entrepreneur and leads the software development agency Virgo. Dan's agency works primarily with startups, turning ideas into reality. He is motivated by creating products that people love and affect positive changes in their lives. Up next, I'm Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. Whether you're looking to buy your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal helps you cruise into a monthly payment you can afford before you even get to the dealership. Find out more at NavyFederal.org. All right, today we're talking to Dan Purcell from Virgo Development. Dan, um, actually know Dan from my mastermind group. We're in an ISI mastermind group together, so we've gotten to know each other really well with all the other guys in the group. But Dan has uh, pretty much been an entrepreneur most of his life, um, especially as an adult. And you're, you're a full-blown entrepreneur. You own a successful um, development software and app development company. So. Dan, I want to go back and you know take us back how far you want to go and talk to talk to us about entrepreneurship and growing up and your your dad was very entrepreneurial and a, and a successful businessman also. Yeah, my dad um, when I was actually born in Japan because my dad and my mom after they were married moved to Japan to start a private English school. Mm. That was an opportunity he found, and we settled in a more rural part of Japan outside of like big cities. And where there was no competition. So like the only Americans in the town pretty much teaching native English. And he built that school up to about 50 teachers across several cities and uh, classrooms and offices. And he sold that. And then we moved to Hawaii because, hey, everyone wants to live in Hawaii, right? So (laughs) I was eight years old. We moved to Hawaii. And um, my dad started a few other ventures there. Decided Hawaii is a great place to visit, not a great place to raise a family. (laughs) And uh, they wanted a uh, small town, uh, little rain, warm winters. That was their only criteria. So they looked on a map, and southern Utah fit the bill. So they just moved our family one summer. to. In the, it was like 115 degrees outside when we were moving into our house. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so I kind of grew up in, a, in this small town. And uh, my dad always found little entrepreneur ventures to do and, and uh, built up some of his businesses. His most recent one he did, he sold for millions of dollars in, in the sewing and quilting industry. So it's been really fun to see my dad and the pattern of entrepreneurship in his life. And that yeah. was a quality I wanted to adopt in my life. No kidding. Now, did you, did you end up learning Japanese? Were you going to Japanese schools or were you? Mostly oh yeah. Mostly? It just, there was no like international school in, in you know, in the sticks. Uh-huh. So we just rural. Uh, we went, when I went to public school, I was the only blonde haired, blue eyed kid in the entire elementary school. <laughs> That's awesome. And what, what grades were you uh, in school when you were in Japan? So in Japan, they do three years of kindergarten. I guess it's like America, we call it preschool, but in uh-huh. Japan, they call it kindergarten. Huh. So I did all three years of kindergarten, first and second grade. Really? And so you were probably completely fluent as a, at least at a second grade level or, or kid level, right? Right. I guess it's not so different. Like in America, we have bilingual families all the time yeah. where the family, you know, they're Hispanic or whatever, like in my community, uh-huh. the kids all speak perfect English and but at home they speak, you know, Spanish, whatever. It was like that in our home. We spoke English in the home, but out of the home we spoke Japanese. No kidding. Wow. 
Never knew that about you. That's awesome. <laughs> so talk a, talk a little bit about, you know, growing up in a, with an entrepreneurial father and that uh, entrepreneurial family. Um, what were some of your early experiences with uh, your stabs at entrepreneurship? So I got into computers and programming. I've been kind of nerdy and geeky, I guess you could say. That's a strength, by the way, not a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, one short story. When I was 14, our, at our local community college was offering a computer programming intro to computer programming class during the summer. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to sign up for this class. So my dad signed me up for that class. A few days before it started, the, uh, the college called and said they had to cancel the class because they didn't have enough people enroll. And my dad's like, how many more people do you need to enroll to carry the class? And they told him. So my dad signed up uh, my grandparents, my mom. <laughs> Uh, my uncle, none of these people lived in our town, but he signed them all up. So they had to carry the class and then he dropped, <laughs> he canceled, he dropped that class for all those people he signed up, Man. but they had to carry the class forward anyway. So, oh, you awesome. know, I thought Dad's that was quick thinking happen. on his part. Yeah. That was an excellent class because it really got me a taste of programming and mm -hmm. just a love of like, it's a really creative process, computer yeah. programming. When I was in high school, um, the cheerleaders every year put on a fundraiser and that they sent out a personality test to the whole student body. And it's like 40 or 50 questions you fill it out. And then they mailed this packet somewhere. And months later they got what they called the, the data match. It's like all hearts and pink and whatever. <laughs> and it, what it was is it tell you who you're most compatible with in, in your class. And it's a fundraiser because you have to pay $2 to get, to get the sealed envelope to read the results. Yeah. And it's, it's really driven by curiosity and they did it around Valentine's day and it was kind of a fun thing. Right. And I like, I could program that I could write a program that would match people's personalities. So I don't know how or why, but somehow I persuaded them to let me do the fundraiser instead of whatever company they were using. Mm -hmm. So I spent some of my free time writing this program and I created the personality test and we used the school's, you know, photocopier to copy it and send it out to all the students who did all the data entry and, and, uh, yeah, they, we, we made a little bit of money off of that. And then I took that same program and wrote a letter to other schools in Utah and, um, we got a little bit of interest. So I did this, you know, the same data match type of a thing really? for other schools. Was that one programmed in basic? Uh, that was, that was, um, uh, Pascal. Uh, okay. Then. We had yeah. something similar in our high school and it was the computer science teacher that did all the programming for it. And she had the oh, big data nice. general computer system in her classroom. And we all, I learned basic programming in high school. Oh, and then great. Pascal yeah, yeah. and Fortran in college follow on, but then I never did anything after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you also, at some point, cause I know you, you got into uh, music and even mixing your own music and you wanted to become a, a DJ, right? Right. And how that started is, this, you know, the same cheerleaders, drill team girls needed their music cut for their performances mm -hmm. or they needed, you know, two songs put together or the tempo in, increased or decreased, or it was like too long. So they need like the end cut or whatever. Um, so I would help them with those things. And so I really got into mixing music and like making my own tracks and then I really liked uh, I, Napster and Kazaa and all that was popular then. So I amassed a pretty good illegal 
a collection of music <laughs> and I DJ dances for the school because mm-hmm. it was something fun. I'd rent the equipment for $300 and I'd charge $300 for the dance. So I'd end up not making any money. <laughs> and I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, I really love DJing dances. I have an idea for you. Invest in me, your son. You want him to be an entrepreneur, right? How, and I found these speakers that was $3,000 and it would be a good starter PA system for me. So I didn't have to rent them anymore. I'm going to go to college. This would be a great side gig for me. And I like laid on all the benefits. And he's like, okay, all right. How about you go out and find 10 gigs, like book 10 gigs in advance, $300 per gig. That's $3,000. Come to me, show me that you've got these 10 gigs booked. Then I'll buy the speakers. And I grumbled because that was like the hardest part. Like I just enjoyed I just enjoyed it and I wanted the equipment. I didn't want to do the hard work of like going out and, and selling. So that was like a really good principle. And I've applied that principle in all my entrepreneurial ventures. You got to kind of look before you leap. Mm-hmm. Identify what's the hardest part of the business yeah. and work to solve that first. And in my experience, like I have a friend that wants to leave his current high paying job to, to go be a coach or, mm-hmm. or, or, um, or something but he has no contacts yet. So before he can make that leap, he's got to figure out how many customers is he going to need? And he's got to figure out that path to the, you know, mm-hmm. how am I going to find those people? How much am I going to charge? Will I have enough to make it work? You, you got to like, and you, it all starts that sale first. You got to work on that sale aspect first. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it, I got to talk to at least 10 people in, or, in order to get one client. Okay. That means if I need 10 clients, I got to go talk to a hundred people. Right. And, and right. Break it down. So I do have a question though. Did you end up booking the 10 gigs and get the money from your dad? Oh, that's a sad story. <laughs> I did book 10 gigs. I, it took me out of my comfort zone because I'm a more introverted by nature. Uh-huh. And I, I got them all and uh, every single 10, one of those 10 gigs fell through, never happened. So that was, uh, but that was so another he, lesson. He didn't but, give you the money up front, even though you had the 10 gigs booked. Right. It, it, in the end, I think we were able to return the speakers and get our money back or something. But oh, uh, really? yeah, every one of those 10 that I booked fell through. <laughs> so Tough lesson, you know? Yeah. But a cheap one, you know, especially at a young age. Right. Yeah. So from, from those couple of lessons and you obviously got the interest in the energy, take us through a little later in life and how you got started, you know, in big boy business. Okay, sure. I got my degree in computer science. I was one of those rare kids that by the time you're 12, he wanted to know what he wanted to be when he grew up. Hmm. So I'm like, I want to program. That just sounds so much fun for me. So I graduated my last semester of college. I mass produced my resume and had tons of interviews. And um, I graduated top, you know, uh, was it summa cum laude? You know, really with really high honors, great GPA. Uh-huh. And I had an internship behind me too. So I was like, I, I felt like I was a pretty good candidate to hire. Right. And I got a few job offers and I decided to take one in a very exotic place called Idaho Falls. <laughs> and um, so we settled in Idaho Falls and uh, fell in love with my, with, with my job. But it had a problem in that for the first time in my adult life that I could remember, I had something called free time. It was like 
a miracle because when I was a student, there was always a paper to write or a group project to do or a software problem to solve or something. And no matter what, there was always something to study for, prepare for. But now I had a job. I'd go to work around eight, come home around five or six, and then I had an evening all to myself, empty, void, nothing. And it, and it, uh, um, so I started twiddling my thumbs a bit. What can I do with this? Around that time, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, That had a big influence on me. Yeah, me too. And uh, I realized what I wanted to do, because now I'm starting to make money for the first time in my life. I want to learn how to use my money well. I decided I want to start a business. That sounds like fun. So other people might pick up, you know, bowling or art or I don't know, some other hobby. My hobby turned into, let's figure out how to build a business. Yeah. <laughs> let's learn things that school couldn't teach me. So um, I started a, a little web hosting business. And funny thing, I, it was, I, my first server wasn't actually a server. It was an old computer in the basement on a DSL connection. <laughs> and I called a few friends and convinced them to switch their hosting to me. I just didn't tell them I was on a DSL connection <laughs> in a you know old PC in the, in the basement. But somehow uh, we kind of went forward with that. And as I would, my my goal was to get free internet, get enough customers hosting to like to get like sixty or seventy dollars a month to pay for my home internet bill. That uh-huh. was like my goal. So I would, in other words, have my internet connection pay for itself. Yeah. By by these sites here and there that I'm hosting. But as I'd host my friend's sites, I'd always say, Hey, you know, while you're at it, I need this change made and I want this improved or whatever. And I don't know how to say no. So I jumped in and I'd make changes to the website for them and they'd be really happy. And next thing I know, they're referring their friends to me and those friends of friends are referred to me. And I, I didn't have enough time to handle all of their work. Uh-huh. And I, so instead of turning them down, I recruited a part-time student, um, from the local university who was absolutely phenomenal. He was a better programmer than I was. He was a better, he was a really good communicator. Like he was like, like a star uh, employee yeah. right off the gate. So he, he would do all this work and it'd make our clients really happy because he would kind of do it plus a little extra always. Uh-huh. And, and he was really fast too. So that, that kind of, was a, it kind of created a new problem because now we're getting more business than we could handle with that guy. So we hired his friend who was also just as skilled. And then we hired another one, another one. So I kind of had this little empire, this little army of part-time student programmers. And uh, I'd get up at 6am and I spent at 8.30am working on emails, talking to clients, messaging my team, like, Hey, we got to get this done today or that's due. And I lived really close to the office where I worked. So I, you know, eat my breakfast while driving to the office. And then, you know, I had my job and I would give my all to my work. And around lunchtime, I'd zip home. <laughs> I'd, I'd do all my phone calls and client calls while my wife is patiently making a sandwich for me. <laughs> and I'd like, stuff that in the face, my face while I like, driving back to the office. And I work till like six, come home, family time, you know, kids go to bed. My wife is so tired. So she goes to bed and then I had the whole evening and I'd work till midnight often, just like, emails and like plans and and all these things. And it got to the point where I felt like I was really working two jobs and I couldn't do both because I had this little side gig going where we're helping people with their websites. And that was really fun. And I had my day job that was, you know, paying really well and it was kind of interesting work Mm -hmm. and I had to make a choice. And that was a really difficult choice for me. What really helped me tip the balance 
towards going full, like leaving the job and going all out on my own is on a weekend, I, around that time, my parents started a, a business in the sewing and quilting industry. They manufactured really high quality thread. Hmm. And I visit, they, they had a convention in Salt Lake City, which is like three hours away from Idle Falls. Yeah. I drove down on the weekend to kind of see them there and to kind of walk the expo floor. And uh, I, I started to meet people. My dad would introduce me to his contacts there and even say, this is my son and he does websites. And I walked away from that weekend, just being a few hours there with 30 people saying, call me, I need help with my website. I'm like, wow. holy cow. I, I now created a way to get business. And yeah. like, this is enough for me. I think I can make a living doing this. Wow. That's an awesome story and a great stopping point. So hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Did you know Navy Federal Credit Union membership is open to veterans from all branches of the military? After all, I was in the Marine Corps for 24 years and I've been a Navy Federal Credit Union member for 30 years. Still have the original account. Whether you served in the Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, Space Force, or Air National Guard, you can become a member and your family can too. My family members are also Navy Federal Credit members. Join over one and a half million veterans that Navy Federal serves and enjoy 24-7 exceptional service, powerful products created with you and your life goals in mind. Speaking of goals, if buying a car is on your list, you can get a Navy Federal auto loan. Applying is easy. You can do it on their mobile app, online, or by phone. And it's so fast. You can get a decision in seconds. Right now, rates are as low as 1.79% APR. Plus, you can estimate your monthly payments with their online auto loan calculator before you apply. So whether it's your first car or your dream car, Navy Federal can help you cruise into a monthly payment you can afford. I've had many auto loans and, and mortgages too with Navy Federal. And Navy Federal are members of the mission. Insured by NCUA, open to the armed forces, the DOD veterans and their families. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Rates subject to change and are based on credit worthiness. Rate available for new vehicles. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply. Okay, back talking with uh, Dan Purcell from Virgo Development. So, Dan, you told a great story about how, and this happens so often in business, where you thought you needed to be a, a internet service provider or a host, um, and you can you got some friends to convert over to that, and you're just running a PC out of your basement. It was a classic geeky story. I love that. Uh-huh. And <laughs> But you start realizing, oh wait, they're really what they re- the need is really over here, and that's in the business of making websites or developing websites, managing websites, those kind of things. So you start hiring. You had this whole, I think you said as many as thirty two people working for you at one point um, when you broke away from your your job. Um, so how long did that go on for? And then what happened at the end of that, where where the pivot was after that? Great. The 32 people happened later in my life, but Uh around that time when I decided to leave, I had about six part-timers working for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was in 2007 when I started that. Um, some, I think what kind of what made our magic work, I did a few things differently. One is I was a student myself and I knew what it was like for like the community to try to recruit programmers. Mm-hmm. And at the time they're offering around $10 an hour. You can probably find a really good gig for about $13 an hour for a student to do programming. Mm-hmm. I was offering 20 and $25 an hour. So oh. I, I, I wanted to double what the norm was as far as pay. Mm-hmm. 
And my strategy was I'll advertise a really high pay. We'll get a lot of resumes and a lot of interest. And then I'll cherry pick the very best one. So I have a bigger pool to pull from. Mm -hmm. And so I think we got really lucky in the beginning because we, um, we got some really good people in in the, in that company. That's interesting. We built up that business. Most of our clients happened to be in the sewing and quilting industry. And then, um, Looking back, that was a big blessing because during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, and so on, the sewing and quilting industry actually grew by 10% in those years because I guess people weren't going on cruises and buying new trucks or staying at home quilting. Mm -hmm. So like the demand in that industry grew and I was well positioned to kind of be the main person in that industry that knew it inside and out and, um, uh, we had built up a reputation for good customer service. Mm-hmm. So um, when they had a question, we'd answer, they'd call, we actually answered the phone. And like, it was a miracle to them that a web guy would like actually call me back and walk me through what I need to do. So mm-hmm. that was kind of like the business we had built there. And that business grew and grew. And there were many years in a row where we were, where we had 50% growth and, um, we kind of branched out from there and started, you know, doing work in other industries. At our height, we had over 800 clients all over the world, like Kuwait, uh, Australia, uh, the UK. Uh, we had a client in every province in Canada and every state in the United States, except Delaware. We could never nail a Delaware client, <laughs> but <laughs> we had clients everywhere. Okay. And um, uh, we, we had 32 uh, uh, employees at that time. And this, so fast forward now to 2015. And as a business owner, I was getting really burnt out. Mm. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs really don't want to talk about, but um, I'd spend about 80% of my time managing and 20% of my time was on creative things. And that's where I get my energy from. I get it from being creative, but most of my time was spent managing, putting out fires, uh, solving little problems that in the end didn't really move the company forward. I felt like I was playing defense all day and not, not offense. And, um, uh, I didn't know what to do. I I really, I felt trapped because I didn't have an exit there. I did not have the heart to lay off my staff. Mm -hmm. If I quit my, my company, I had no income. So I had to keep going. I I just kind of felt like I was on this treadmill. And then a miracle happened. Hmm. Uh, Next to our office complex, a new business moved next next door to us in the next building over. And they're also a tech company. So I'm in a little town and uh, another tech company is kind of a big deal. So we start becoming fast friends. They're in a completely different industry. And, uh, they had just moved to my town cause it's a great place to live and wanted to, uh, they were like enamored that how, how in the world did you recruit so many people? how did you build your business and whatever? And they, in the end offered to buy my company. It was an aqua hire. And that term means like they acquire a tech company buys another tech company, not because of the business model, but cause they want to get to the people they're, they're growing fast and the fastest way to grow is to swallow up another company to get to the staff quick. Yeah. And it worked for us. And cause we fit their pattern exactly. Like even before we met, they're like, we need about 14 programmers, three graphic designers and uh, customer service people and sales and management levels in between. And I had that blueprint that they were looking for. Huh. 
So it was like, it's like too good to be true. So it was a great match and it was a great like inside for me. It was like, this is my parachute. <laughs> I can jump yeah. out and this is like, I can like, this is my exit from, from feeling like I'm not progressing anymore. I right. sell my business. I, that was a fantastic thing. So, um, we, I sold the company, but a few weeks, so we came up with a valuation. We set a target date when we're going to close. And then I had, I had to make a really difficult decision. And that's to tell all my clients I'm closing down my comp- my business. We are getting acquired and I can no longer service you anymore. You need to find someone else to take care of your websites because the new company that's buying us isn't interested in managing websites anymore. They just so, want the programmers. Oh, uh, okay. So that was my question. They weren't, product. they weren't buying your company to acquire your book of business. They were just buying it to get the staff. Yes. Your staff. Yes. Okay. Right. Wow. Cause the company buying us was growing really fast and needed people pronto. They had signed a deal with UPS and they're in the shipping business. Uh-huh. So they needed, uh, they needed, uh, anyway, this contract with UPS, they just signed it. Now they're overnight. They had they're just growing like crazy and they, they just moved and they, they just need like staff like tomorrow. So, yeah. or like yesterday, I mean, so we signed, wow. so things moved really fast. So I told my, my, you know, and I told my staff, this is what's happening. We're getting acquired. We're all moving. We're going to all be employed by this other company. Um, and so it's like the trains in motion, it's going down the hill and we're, we're heading that direction. And then a few weeks before, like about a month before we were supposed to sign and complete the merger, uh, the owner of the other company comes to me kind of in a panic. It's like, Dan, I don't have the money. I thought we'd totally have the money to acquire a company, but you know, our investors that said they would totally do it. They're not coming through. I don't know what to do. And I can't stop the train. Like our clients are already leaving. They're trying to find new people to take care of them. They're already really angry at me. I can't go back to them and say, ah, just kidding. Stay uh, with us. Yeah. Like that wasn't going to work. Besides um, just, uh, we were like internally starting to wrap and wind things down and transition things for the new company anyway, so that we could like make this all work. So that was kind of a, a really difficult decision. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew about seller financing from real estate. So I said, Hey, how about I seller finance my business? In other words, I'll hold a note and it's due in 18 months and uh, with interest. So if things work out, I, I, I make a little more money on the upside. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the arrangement I made. That way we can still go through with the merger. And uh, I just had a, a promise to pay in 18 months later. So, uh, and then, then the day of the merger happened, we signed and then we all moved, you know, next door. <laughs> we started working for the new company. I got a salary for the first time in, I don't know how long. And I got to tell you, it was great. <laughs> it was great to go home at night yeah. and not have to worry about like what's happening with, with this fire or whatever, or yeah. all the drama that happens when you have a, you know, a big staff, like I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And it was so nice. I was given a position, a really clear cut job. Mm-hmm. And, um, I learned a lot of things about myself during those 11 months I was there because I don't make a very good employee. <laughs> I, Most entrepreneurs um, don't No, I thought I would. Cause <laughs> I wanted to like, you know, it's like a character building thing, right? I want to be the model employee. So I'm like coming up with all these ideas and how they can improve the processes. And I was going to do all these things. 
I learned a few things pretty quick. The first reality was it didn't matter how hard I worked or how uh, not hard I worked. I was going to get paid the same. Mm. So I could like work my guts out for the new company or like just do the minimum of my job requirements and I'd get paid the same. That was kind of a hard pill for me to swallow because when I own my own business, I'm more in in control of my income. Mm -hmm. I can work really hard and then, you know, increase my income. Right. The other thing is, um, I thought they would, I thought I was, you know, they would value my experience and my input and, and, uh, everything more than, than they did. So I, I kind of felt a little forgotten and I, I realized that's important to me. I kind of like to be in the, the captain's seat yeah. and that's, that's kind of important to me. So I would guess what I'd find myself at night in my free time, start dreaming about new business start ideas all over and, again. and start doing things all over again. And it was like, this is like the pattern for me happening all over again. So it was a good 11 months though. And I learned a lot and I say 11 months because around 11 months later, the, C- the CEO comes to my desk and says, hey, Dan, um, this is a Friday, by the way. It's like, I need to take you to lunch. And that, that to me means this is not a good sign because he never invites anyone to go to lunch. Like he never asked me to go to lunch before. So like, yeah. this must be really bad news. So we go to lunch and he's like, you know, things have not been working out very well. Our sales are down and... Um, with this integrating the two companies together has taken a lot longer than I thought it would. In short, I, I have no money left. I, we have just enough to make payroll on Monday and then I don't know what we're going to do. So I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to do a massive layoff on Monday and I don't know if we're going to survive beyond that. And there's absolutely no way I can ever imagine paying you what I owe you either. There's just, it's just not going to happen. There's just, we're, we're on the brink of bankruptcy. I've, I've begged and borrowed. I've borrowed as much as I can from his parents and from uh, other friends and family. And, and no one wants to invest in your company if you're not, if you're like, if, they, if an investor senses even a whiff of like desperateness, that's like a really bad sign, right? So yeah. uh, he's, anyway, I was devastated because I had worked so hard to build up my first company and, and then selling it. And that kind of really didn't materialize. So we're like waiting for this 18 month payday. We're going to have our, our house completely paid off. We're going to have our kids set up with our college funds and everything. Mm -hmm. And who knows, I might have some money left over for a fancy car. Like (laughs) we're like dreaming, like you can't wait for this day to happen. And then just poof, it, it was, it was obliterated. So I cried in the closet for about a day. And then realized, you know what, I've got skills, not that I want to, but I know how to build up a company. Yeah. I could start over if I had to. So I cherry, we were all losing our jobs. So I cherry picked the three best programmers I'd ever hired and called them up and said, Hey, this is what's happening. Um, let's go start a new company together. Let's start over. So we did that Monday. <laughs> so the next no Monday or so by Tuesday we had found an office space and um, anyway, we hustled and hustled and hustled those first few months to, to get ourselves, you know, back under our feet. So in a way it's been a big blessing because I got a chance to reboot myself. I got to reboot my business. Mm-hmm. I got to take all those lessons I learned 
and like figure out what is it that I would want, always want to do differently about my old company mm-hmm. and kind of put, incorporate those lessons into my new company. And that's what I do now. That's what I absolutely love. That's amazing. So you never really got to cash in the first business and then go back and start another company with, with, with a bunch of money in the bank. You, you kind of, it kind of all got lost really. Right. Right. Uh, to give him credit, he did pay me a, a really small piece uh-huh. uh, three years later. It was, it was a token in good faith. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at least I, he was since, I don't think he was being dishonest with me or that he was um, yeah. trying to pull a fast one on me. Business is risky. He took a risk by acquiring a company mm-hmm. and sales just did not materialize the way he had projected. Wow. And, and it, so anyway, that's, yeah. that's what happened. So some phenomenal, great business lessons there, Dan. I appreciate it. Um, do uh, we're getting close to the end of our time. So um, with Virgo development, you really guys, you guys really moved into uh, apps more than anything, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so we do, we don't do as much web design anymore. It's, we just do a lot of programming and that's okay. what we really love. And can you talk about some of, some of your own projects that you got going on right now real quick, yep. just give us uh, sure. where they're at. And if we want to go download one of your apps to check it out. All right. Sounds good. So, um, uh, one of my own personal, uh, life lessons through the whole, uh, ups and downs of entrepreneurship is how important marriage is. Mm-hmm. It's to me, at least in my life, it's been like a, a bedrock, something I can really rely on. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, I'm just blessed with a very patient wife <laughs> with an entrepreneur husband. Mm-hmm. That can be really rough entrepreneurship alone. Starting a business can be really rough on a marriage because of all the time it takes and everything. So anyway, just realizing how important that was. And then there was a period in our life about three years ago where our marriage just really took off, like went from good to like, holy smokes, great. And I want to incorporate some of those lessons into, because I, I build apps. So that app is called Intimately Us. It's a intimacy app for married couples, uh-huh. really. And it's a way to kind of spice things up in the bedroom, but not in a crass or raunchy way. Cause that was something <laughs> important to us at the time. Yeah. It still is. And, uh, anyway, that's, that's kind of been a passion project of mine on kind of, kind of like as a side deal. But, um, anyway, that app is doing really well and can, you know, search the app store for intimately us and you yeah. can find that. Yeah. My wife and I actually downloaded that as like uh, beta testers, like my, my whole life, my computer geekiness to me, like I said, basic, Fortran Pascal, and then it never did anything. I'm like, yeah, I'll be a beta tester. We uh-huh. got into it there for for like a, the first week, and we're giving you feedback, and then we like totally like didn't give you any feedback. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but uh, I mean, it was cool to to just play a little tiny sliver of a part in uh, right before your app went public. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and thank you for that. You're actually, the, the downloads on the app were actually pretty good so far, aren't they? Yeah. I don't know if you're willing to share so. those numbers, but. Sure. We're about six months, uh, sorry, six weeks since official launch and we're close to 8,000 downloads now. So and it's traction. Like, can you put that in perspective? Like I'm assuming that's really good, right? I think so. Um, I don't know what to compare it to because people really don't publish their download numbers mm. except unless you're a really big app like Instagram, I think on their first day they had a hundred thousand downloads. So I'm nowhere near like that, that caliber Yeah. as far as maybe marketing engine goes. Right. But um, 
Um, uh, I have other apps that we, a client hires us to do and we build and it really depends on your marketing engine. Mm -hmm. If I can leave one more tip for entrepreneurs thinking about going into building an app, Mm -hmm. I would recommend before hiring your app developer to really think through how you're going to market the app. A lot of times people believe I'll just make an app, put it on the app store and then, and then I'll, you know, dot, 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 I'm going to be rich when that's, that's uh yeah, you do need a product. You do need a, a high quality app, but there's so much more to it than just building the product. You have to figure out how to get the word out about it. So make sure you have a really good marketing engine first um, before you hire the app developer. Cause if you can't create a, create a marketing engine, then there's no use wasting that money on an app. Yeah. It's like there, there's no, uh, there's really no product out there that'll just sell itself. Right. doesn't really exist, right? right? No. I mean, you hope it gains traction and that, you know, word of mouth takes over and people start telling friends about it and things like that. But it it doesn't happen overnight just like that. It does take, take effort. Great advice. I mean, we're in the Amazon business and we've experienced a lot of the same things. Like this is such a cool product. I know when we put it on Amazon, it's just going to sell. It's like, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work quite like that. (laughs) It'd still (laughs) be a great product. There was just not a marketing plan put in place behind it. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, we're we're, we're about done. I do want to give you the last word. So, well, first of all, if if somebody's interested in seeking you guys out for maybe uh, giving them some advice or help on developing an app, where would they find you? Uh, My website is virgodev.com, V-I-R-G-O, like the star constellation, dev, short for development. So D-E-V dot com. And so if you're talking to somebody out there from the military community that's looking to get in entrepreneurship, um, maybe they don't have an idea yet. Maybe they have an idea, but they're not sure how to test an eval or, or market or, or get into the, you know, get started on their idea. What kind of advice would you have for them as a Great. beginning entrepreneur? Problems are a gold mine. If you can find a problem that you can solve, you're definitely on the right track. So um, I have a Google doc of like, like at, at least a hundred business ideas. Really? Um, and a lot of them are terrible, but like, these are all problems I think I can solve. And then if you kind of think of it that way and just, it's like a numbers game a bit. The other thing I recommend is, uh, I got this from the book, good to great. And there's called the hedgehog concept. You have imagine three concentric circles. It's like a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. One is things you're passionate about. Another thing is what you're good at. And the third thing is, what you can make money doing. Mm-hmm. So when those three, three, those three things come together, that's when you got a really sweet spot, something you can do. Awesome. So look for that. Yeah. Hey, that's great advice, man. Dan, you told some great entrepreneurial stories. I, I loved every one of them. Um, I wish we had more time, but we don't. And, you know, some phenomenal advice too from somebody that's been, been out there slugging it out in the, in the entrepreneurial world. So really appreciate you telling your stories uh, sharing your success and, and failures and everything along the way. It's been, it's been a pleasure to listen to. <laughs> Thank you. All Thanks right, Joe. You bet. Yeah. Loved it. All right, Dan. Well, we are out of here and, uh, we look forward to your future success. Great. Thank you. All right. You bet. We're out. Thank you for listening to veteran on the move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.